Hello everybody and welcome to this special edition of Pharmacy Magazine's In Conversation with podcast series. My name is Richard Thomas and in this episode we're going to revisit some of the most notable interviews of the year so far with pharmacies, movers and shakers. So over the next half hour we're going to hear from English Pharmacy Board Chair Thorin Govind about diversity and inclusion. We'll relive pharmacy's Covid response with Raj Newtan of Alfega. We'll talk prescribing and progress with Harry McQuillan of Community Pharmacy Scotland and Gareth Hughes of Shepherd's Pharmacy in Wales and ask what can the Red Arrows teach pharmacy about patient safety with Janice Perkins, formerly of Well Pharmacy. But first up is my interview with Victoria Steele in May, who is Superintendent Pharmacist at Lloyd's Pharmacy. This has been a challenging year for Lloyd's and we had a wide-ranging conversation covering a whole host of topics. But it was Victoria's shocking comments about the abuse she's received on social media from other pharmacists that meant this was the most downloaded episode of the podcast so far this year. There was a real disappointment around uh, some of the behaviours that were were seen for for a number of reasons. Um, It's it's really interesting for me as a superintendent, I clearly need channels of communication to be to be two-way and to be wide open between myself and frontline colleagues whether they're employed or or locums but um i also do do expect to be to be spoken to like a a fellow professional and it's really challenging if um inappropriate kind of leery jeery tones um are, are talked on on social on public social media platforms um i'm not going to engage on a personal level with in that um i've received a few emails from a few locums and looked into anything that uh, they have sent me um, and i've agreed with some stuff and i not agreed with with other stuff but I've literally received three or four communications. Um, so the disappointment for me, um, apart from it's it's just quite challenging on a personal level to deal with, I, I get really disappointed that it, it, it reflects poorly on the profession if that's how if that's how we think that's how business is done. I worry about younger pharmacists seeing that behaviour and thinking that's the appropriate way to get business done. And I would hate, you know how proud I am of the position that I now hold and how hard I've worked to get there. And if if I thought anybody was looking at this and thinking, there's no way I want to receive that sort of um kind of a, abuse um for, for want of a better word um I'd hate to think it put them off that and to give you some context for anybody that may not have seen it and this is not to do with um the closures only yesterday on social media I got called um a child abuser which is just it's just shocking it's been dealt with but none of us go to work or have uh, formed a career for for that sort of behaviour to happen in a public arena. 
Victoria Steele and an interview that generated a huge reaction. Next up is Thorin Gollind. Thorin appeared on the podcast in June, just after she'd been re-elected to the RPS English Pharmacy Board. She was later voted on as the new chair, replacing Claire Anderson, who became society president, which just goes to show the power of appearing on these podcasts. Thorin is one of the new generation of pharmacy leaders and spoke with real conviction about her hopes for the RPS and where she sees the future of the profession. We also talked about mental health and inclusion and diversity, issues that Thorin feels passionately about, and she spoke very personally about racial discrimination in pharmacy and society as a whole. This is what she had to say. I think the pace of change in society hasn't been quick enough. You know, it's still unacceptable that people are being discriminated for, you know, their, their, the colour of their skin, the fact that, you know, that they're disabled, that that they're female you know there's just and that's just three categories uh, you know which do not define an individual but people are still judged in their day-to-day lives on uh, and there are many more um and and it's not fair it's not fair that a pharmacist should be paid less because they're female and we know there is you know there's a gender a, a gender pay gap um, and in fact one of the candidates standing for election talked about that so um so I think there's just so much to be done. Um, like how is it in 2021 that we're still seeing the behaviours in society? I'm just livid. I'm I'm angry because, you know, even growing up for myself, I remember when I was younger, um, I went on holiday and and being shouted at for the you know for the colour of my skin, and just you just sort of stood there thinking like, well, I can't change it. You know, it's just who I am. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm I'm lucky in a sense because I haven't really experienced that in such a such an overt manner as I've got older. But obviously there are microaggressions and, and, and um, you know, invisible where we don't necessarily see it. So, I think from from my own experiences, and and I'd say some of my other experiences come come from some of the charity you know charity work that I've done, and you know being a trustee of a, me- a mental health charity, um, seeing how people are discriminated against because of you know mental health, um, and that's part of the reason that I'm so passionate as well that the RPS. Uh, you know continues with this path now that we you know we're looking into well-being of pharmacists and we're looking at inclusion and diversity because I don't think you can be an organization and not um and I don't want it to be lip service I absolutely would abhor it to be just oh let's just do it for the sake of doing it no it's got to be improving the lives of pharmacists and pharmacy teams and, and and it has a trickle down effect as well because you know we can impact where we can impact as a society but but if we can tackle some of these problems you know that's hopefully going to trickle out to our you know people who don't work in pharmacy uh, our our friends our colleagues you know family and and it can have a wider societal impact really so i mean i mean, you can see i'm i'm really just quite angry about some of the some of this sort these sorts of behaviors and and it absolutely needs to be be challenged. Thorin Govin there and a really powerful interview. In July, I talked patient safety with the former superintendent pharmacist at Well Pharmacy, Janice Perkins. 
Janice at the time was chair of the Community Pharmacy Patient Safety Group and I asked her to explain about the work of the group and she went on to tell me what pharmacists can learn about patient safety from the Red Arrows. Um, So I know that some of the listeners won't be aware of the Community Pharmacy Patient Safety Group, um, but just to give you a little bit of background, we started um, at the end of 2014 and we're actually a group of people who are very passionate about patient safety, uh, but we're also the Medication Safety Office officers for the largest multiple organisation. So anybody who is a company that has over 50 pharmacies um, has the opportunity to appoint a medication safety officer and they can be part of the of the group. We were actually mandated to be medication safety officers by NHS England who had issued an alert around that time. Uh, but what was important to us was to say actually just assuming an alert doesn't really make a huge difference. So we wanted to meet and get together and share knowledge and and expertise. So we've got the the 19 largest organisations, but we've also got the MPA, Newmark, AIM and Pharmacy to You. So we all meet collectively, we meet every month for an afternoon. um, And we talk about anything that can make a difference to patient safety. Um, Obviously, dispensing errors can form quite a big part of that. However, I think it's important that we focus on patient safety being wider than just dispensing errors. So we think about the person behind the prescription, but also the person behind the service, the OTC sale or the advice, because pharmacy is much more than about dispensing. And we need to remember that in terms of patient patient safety. So the conference was an opportunity really for us to share what we've been thinking about and what we've been doing, but also to try and bring a different perspective to patients safety and we wanted it to be a conference where when people went away they thought I could do something with that information I could build that into my practice because actually if you're not going to make a difference and use the information you get then it becomes a bit a bit pointless one of our principles is about reporting learning sharing acting and reviewing and that underpins everything we do And we frequently say there's no point in just reporting an incident. Reporting it per se doesn't make any difference. It doesn't really improve safety. It's what you do with that information. So that was the concept behind having a conference that says, let's try and get pharmacists to think a little bit different and broader, more broadly about patient safety. Let's give them some food for thought with some people outside of pharmacy also talking about pharmacy because pharmacists like nothing better than to be talking to other pharmacists. But it's great to learn from other sectors. Um, And let's just see if we can get people to think a little differently and go and make small changes to their practice. And that's really, you know, where this came from. So what about the, the red arrows then? How can pharmacists learn from the red arrows about patient safety? An intriguing title. Well, it certainly is. Uh, Mike Ling is a former Red Arrow um, and has been involved in the in the RAF. And really, um, there's lots of analogies between aviation and patient patient safety. And the bit that he focused on in his um, presentation, and you'll be able to watch the recording on our, our website, was around the importance of high performance teams, about trust, and also about the importance of having a just a just culture. Um, he showed a fabulous video and then he talked through how 
complacency can sometimes slip into what you do and you could see the analogy maybe to that in community pharmacy or any aspect of pharmacy really we are sometimes doing very similar things so he focused on how that continual improvement constantly reviewing what you've done um, and you'll see in the in the video that he showed some pictures of where they'd taken a they review a video of every display that they do in the red arrows and then they analyze it and see what could have been done differently and um, was there anything that could potentially have caused an issue in the in the future so a bit like a near missing community pharmacy so the analogies between discussing and reviewing when something goes wrong learning from that looking at what might be a warning indicator for future and he gave a very powerful analogy where he actually had a had a crash and actually when the investigated it just some sloppy things had had come into practice that had then ultimately resulted in something going going wrong so it reminded me of the benefit of us having patient safety huddles the importance of near misreporting and actually how it's a team it's a team effort patient safety is a team effort not only within the pharmacy but also between the pharmacy team and other healthcare professionals so there was a huge number of analogies that he drew out and a really exciting video for anybody who has to want, wants to have a watch because we all love seeing the red arrows flying in in sequence with all the colored air coming and smoke coming out of the planes it's um, really quite quite thrilling Raj Nutan is a well-known and popular figure in the profession, having had spells at the MPA, Newmark and now Alfega, where he is UK country head. In April, we talked about how Alfega got its COVID vaccination service off the ground and more generally about pharmacy's fantastic response to the pandemic. So to be honest, it's, it's been phenomenal, really. If you, if you look at what the government have done... Um, You've got the mass vaccinations um, sites, which are predominantly the main sources of vaccinations. And then you've got our members um, and they're doing a mixture of church halls or um, leisure centres or actually if they've got sufficient space, we've been doing it in their consultation rooms. And the community feel, I can't sort of express how much that community feel I've experienced myself supporting our members. It's just like it brings the community even further together together. and the fact that it's a local independent pharmacy or a local community pharmacy, they can ask questions about the vaccine hesitancy. You've got pharmacies in local deprived areas as well where vaccine uptake is not huge. So, again, I think that network's really good. And it's really important, I think, all the key stakeholders in government and NHS recognise that having a local community pharmacy to support the vaccination rollout is really good because... It, getting that buzz when you're in there and I think I think Richard you said you you went the other day I think it was your mother or father-in-law had the vaccination and you felt the buzz yourself when you went in there and it's it's a really good good feeling Richard. No absolutely um oh you mentioned earlier on Raj um the the power really of the of the network in terms of providing Covid vaccinations and the potential to do a lot more are our Fager members able and willing to offer an annual covid job like flu at some point in the future no absolutely richard i think um there's no doubt about it um community pharmacy is well placed in terms of the local communities in terms of supporting an immunization program be it flu um be it covid um i was interested in the cig research you published that there's 92 percent of pharmacies would like to see um, an annual covid vaccination program in their pharmacy um 
and that supports the members who we've been speaking to in terms of they would like to see the same as well. Um, I think the challenge is going to be, um, and reading your research, I think it was 88% what felt though that the government and sort of the NHS officials didn't see pharmacy as an integral part of primary healthcare. And I think that's going to be a challenge, Richard, and, and really I'm a quite strong advocate. Community pharmacy is such a strong player and it really needs to be recognised in primary healthcare and things like doing the COVID vaccination boosters, if they do come around in September, pharmacies ideally placed. Um, we're trained up, we're qualified, we're ready, we're able, we've got the good links with the community and really we can dispel those myths, Richard. So I think absolutely, I think community pharmacy, our Fagan members, we're ready to do it. Raj Nutan, who after we talked, was heading straight out to one of his members to lend a hand on the front line. A senior manager not afraid of getting his hands dirty. Now, as journalists, we always enjoy reporting and talking about community pharmacy in the Celtic nations because it really does seem to be that much more advanced and progressive than in England. So let's head to Scotland and my interview with Harry McQuillan, Chief Executive of Community Pharmacy Scotland, right at the beginning of the year. Harry told me how independent prescribing is re-engineering the clinical role of community pharmacy north of the border through the development of the NHS Pharmacy First Plus service. But first I asked him, what's the secret behind a constructive relationship that the sector enjoys with the Scottish Government, certainly compared to that in England? It probably goes to... Would I say, Richard, establishment of relationships? But I think in Scotland has been more stable than uh, than but you know as things have moved down south, we we are certainly involved. At the, I've mentioned already the mobilisation recovery group, so we're we're in a very fortunate position that we speak directly every three weeks to the cabinet secretary for health. If you've got an opportunity to propose solutions in that particular environment. You, you're speaking directly to government, who then cabinet secretary instructs the civil servants to to get in touch. I'm interested in that, and we can discuss it. Uh, I also I mentioned there were civil servant colleagues who have been, I have to say, tremendous during the the pandemic. We are in almost daily contact. So that and it says a a thing. It's very often a glib phrase, Richard, about it's a partnership, but actually. I really, it's easy to say because I believe it. The, the, um, one of the civil servants actually called it team pharmacy. And isn't that a lovely phrase to use between a negotiating body and a, a team of civil servants at Scottish Government? And uh, that, that would I say, coherent, cohesive way of working really does help, really helps. So I, I think it's, really I think it's underpinned by that and the network's ability to deliver on the things that the government have asked. And that's so that's probably the two things I would focus on there, Richard, that has worked well for us, I believe. And what, what it, it's a, an attempt, would we say, Richard, with the NHS Pharmacy First Plus to make sure our prescribers are recognised as the clinicians that they are in the community. It allows you to go wider than the current scope of Pharmacy First in terms of anything that you can supply within your competence and allow you to intervene. And it really came home during May, June time, during that first wave of the pandemic, where I was certainly listening to prescriber colleagues on our board telling us how much easier it was for them to intervene, 
to accept and take that responsibility to make the care of the patient delivered right there and then from a much wider portfolio than the, the service. The basic service was allowed to do it. You then begin to look ahead about, well, is that our place in primary care? And absolutely, I think that first port of call, helping with the triage, but also being able to, as I say, intervene and make the supply. So I could began to see how prescribing really could fit with a network. And if you roll that out across 1,258 pharmacies, it's a game changer for primary care. So we were in a position to put that to government, who again were, were colleagues in the civil service, were delighted to see that coming forward. And we, we got some funding to make sure independent prescribing courses came through, which we were delighted were subscribed for the first one. And I can let you know that the, the next 120 for this year that start this year, Richard, are fully subscribed. So it seems, it seems again to have met a need or a desire from the network because actually they're coming forward. And that, that I have to say, is hugely encouraging for, for me for looking for the future of the network. And we'll, I'm sure we'll cover that in a wee while as well. But I can see how that could come in a coordinated aspect across the network. Now, five years' times, we've got the initial education and training programme from the GPHC looking to have the, our newly qualified or newly registered pharmacists IPs initially, straight away. And we'll have a, a programme there for you can imagine over the next five years to ensure people like me and you, should we choose to, could undertake that particular qualification. So that we're already down that road and as a, a network and as a, an organisation, just Community Pharmacy Scotland, we're aware we need to have a service for these people to deliver. Because otherwise we go, well, we go to other sectors or what's the point of having this particular qualification? So that was the bit of the thinking behind NHS Pharmacy First. It was, well, now that you've got the qualification, here's what you can do to use it. There's finance uh, remuneration that supports that for the pharmacy owners to encourage their teams to participate. And ultimately, that's us on the journey of having a prescriber in every pharmacy in Scotland to help solidify that. So I, I have to say, I, I, see a, I really do see a future for us, Richard, in prescribing. Harry McQuillan there. So let's finish in Wales with my chat to Gareth Hughes, superintendent pharmacist at the thriving Shepherds Pharmacy Group, now part of Avicenna. We talked back in March at the height of Six Nations fever about delivering a healthier Wales, the bold vision for the sector's future in Wales, and how, like in Scotland, it is independent prescribing, skill mix and close local collaboration that is unlocking community pharmacists' clinical capability. So what were the opportunities and challenges for pharmacy in Wales? So yeah, in terms of opportunities, I think um, I think we're looking to move from a, um, a supply-based model more to a, a service-based um, model in Wales, so really increasing the clinical capability of um, pharmacy and ph- pharmacy teams and really realising um, the value-added potential that community pharmacy has um, for the NHS. Um, the last few years, we, we have had so several new services. We have the common ailment service and um, which is available for 27 um, minor clinical conditions we had the sore throat test and treat service um, where there's the the um, ability to um, check with a, a rapid antigen test whether um, they have a strep a infection and, and, and prescribe penicillin from that 
if, if needed. Um, and uh, we're moving into the independent prescribing services. And so that entire package is trying to make community pharmacy the first port of call for, for managing acute conditions uh, in Wales. But with with the challenges then comes from trying to get that balance right of, of supply versus services. Um, and I think COVID highlighted that the importance of supply. So just looking at can we improve our ways of working, um, increasing our workforce development to, to release that capacity um, and then you know, allow us to have that robust services model going forward then. Yeah, I mean, like, like you mentioned in delivering a healthy ways, I mean, the, um, you know, it's a really ambitious goal of having an independent prescriber in every community pharmacy in Wales by, by 2030, which you know, even a couple of years ago, that sort of seems quite an outstanding sort of goal to aim for, really. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely encourage everyone to consider in independent prescribing. It's really sort of changed my way of thinking in, in terms of consultations. Um, I think in, in, in pharmacy, we tend to be very... Um, black and white you know it's <laughs> so, so something yeah. that either is or it isn't is licensed or it's not yeah um but it's yeah it's, it's, a, it's a different way way of thinking and um uh, learning uh, diagnostic skills and patient assessment as well which is something you know the actual hands-on physical assessment of patient again it isn't something certainly when i was in university we didn't really really do so it has you know, it's, it's really changed my way of thinking. I think I've learned an awful lot of, of new skills. I would definitely, um, well, definitely encouraging not so far our, our pharmacists. I think we've got um, one just qualified and another three and, and, and taking the training. And yeah, I'm so re really passionate to really get a, a, a really well-developed service uh, uh, across, across Shepherds, really. So that brings this special edition of our In Conversation With podcast to a close. My thanks once again to Victoria Steele, Thoran Govind, Janice Perkins, Raj Nutan, Harry McQuillan and Gareth Hughes. Full versions of all these interviews can be found on the Pharmacy Magazine website in the podcast section. The Talk in Pharmacy podcast returns next week with Season 2, with more topical debate and discussion as the CIG editors kick around the big pharmacy issues of the day. And there'll be more in conversation with interviews as well, starting with Mark Donovan of Boots. So until then, thanks very much for listening.